this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. All right, so we begin a brand new series today called Full Heart Great Game. But before we do, I just want to thank all of you who have been praying for my family. I'm Candace, by the way, if you're new here, lead pastor here. My family has been going through some crazy, (laughs) it's actually been a crazy year, but particularly a crazy couple of weeks in and out of hospitals. Uh, Many of you know my husband, Aaron, is still there in Baltimore, actually, in a hospital bed in Baltimore, and he's probably watching right now. Can you all just wave back at the cameras at him? Hi, Aaron. Uh, He was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease last July and end-stage renal failure, just kidneys are dead and so it's been a crazy year we've we've become almost experts on kidney function and dialysis you know I I can speak full doctor now a couple of the doctors this week said you just you need like an honorary RN or something (laughs) so you understand all of this lingo Um, it's it's actually really amazing everything that I've learned you know about hypertension thrombosis and all these big words and, and abbreviations too like HD PD, DVT, CKD, ESR, just all the Ds, really. I know them all. So we've become experts and we've learned a lot, but people have asked, many of you even asked this morning, you know, how are you, right? And I say good, and almost all of you said, no, really, how are you, right? And I'm, I'm really, I am good. I feel like I, I know what you're asking when you say that. But I really am. I'm good. Uh, we've stayed pretty positive. And don't get me wrong, we have our 3 a.m. breaking down, like haven't gotten sleep in days moments. That first night in the ER at Hopkins last week was brutal. <laughs> I just want to cry about everything that night. But generally, it's good. God sustains us. He does. I know that sounds trite something you say, but it, it's not. It's, it's, it's probably not what you think, though. And I want you to know that I'm, ju- I'm not just, like, more spiritual than you, <laughs> right? It's not as, like, magical and mystical as it sounds. It's just faith, simple, honest faith that God sustains us even in the crazy, even in the stress, even in the, the storms. He just does. I'm not prayer warrioring around the hospital, like anointing doors and speaking in tongues. I'm not like constantly my nose in the Bible. I know I preach about loving the word a lot, and I do. I love the word. But uh, there was a, a teenager, I think she's here, <laughs> a couple of months ago that said, I don't know if we can invite Candace, because we'll have to read the Bible the whole time. That's <laughs> well, not. That's honestly not what I am. I do love the word and I do love worship. I have missed worship. But it's not that I'm just more spiritual, right? It's honestly that God sustains us. It's our our faith in him that ultimately we're going to be okay, even if it means Aaron doesn't get healed, right? It's even if he doesn't faith. Many people have said to me, you know, you just have to claim it. You just have to believe it hard enough. 
I don't, I believe that God can heal Aaron. I do. It's up to him whether he's going to or not. Maybe this is a season we have to walk through for who knows what reason we'll know later, right? I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to know all the reasons today to trust God through this season. It's a tough season. It's a crazy season. I'm not going to lie. But hopefully someday I'll look back and, and think that it was a good one. But I learned a lot through this season. You know, my God-given purpose helps sustain me as well. Leading this church is a, a purpose for me. It's, a, I believe, a God-given purpose for my life, and it sustains me, it feeds me, it even, just to be real, real, can I be really real? <laughs> it distracts me. It's a good thing. Some of you have caught me working this week. I'm sending out messages and things, and they're like, don't, you know, don't you have your hands full? Can't somebody else handle this? <laughs> it seems like you shouldn't be not doing this, and I appreciate that very much. I know you care about me, but uh, it's distracting. It's good <laughs> to get my mind off of that. Right? If, if I'm too busy to complain, <laughs> it's a good thing. I'm not complaining because I'm just too busy, right? The Bible talks about this peace beyond all understanding, right? This peace in the middle of the storm. It talks about contentment. And it's not just talking about being content when things are good, but being content in the fire. In the flames, when, when the enemies are marching at you actively, right? Being sent off to slavery and betrayed by your brothers or at the bottom of the lion's den. I mean, the Bible is a collection of stories over and over and over about how people trusted God through the storm, in the storm, and how God comes through on the other side of that. My fight isn't much different from theirs. In fact, I think it's a lot easier than some of theirs, the stories that I read in the word, and I have a lot to learn from them. So how do we get there, right? How do we get to the place where the worries, the fears, the freakouts, the anger doesn't overtake the contentment and the joy and the peace, right? It's easy to, to feel that peace in a worship service this morning when you can feel the presence of God in this room, but walking out those doors, life comes back right? This can be a, a retreat from all of that. But how do we maintain it outside the doors? And I think 1 Timothy 6 gives us some clues about how to stay content, stay peaceful in the middle of the storm. So that's where we're going today. We're going to read a couple of verses and I'll stop as we go through. So verse 1, Paul is actually writing, by the way, to Timothy about a church that they have planted and worked on it and pastored together. And so he says, teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words, but this stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they turn their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. I mean, Paul gets real 
right? He's, he's getting in there. He's addressing the exact issues that that particular church is going through. And so far, it's, all, it's just a list of how not to do it, how not to find contentment, how not to find that peace and joy. It's, it's teaching something other than the Bible. It's lacking understanding. It's quibbling over the meaning of words. I've actually, I've seen the church, the overall church, Christians in America today quibbling over the meaning of words, the stirring up arguments, drama, 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 right? People who just seem to collect the drama, it's jealousy, it's division, it's slander, evil suspicions, using religion to become wealthy. I, I tend to think religious abuse is actually akin to sexual abuse. It's not cool. And it messes with our identity, who we are and who God is. It's serious. So all of this so far is a list of how not to do it. And verse 6, he says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. True godliness. I like how he says true godliness. This doesn't pretend religion. This isn't just showing up and checking the boxes. I was at church today great, I can move on with my life, right? It's not just religion. It's true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. The NIV says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. All week I've been thinking about this verse. I'm sitting in a hospital room, sleeping uncomfortably, and doctors and nurses in and out, and I'm thinking, how do I maintain contentment? In this moment. Now, if, if you're a believer, a Jesus follower already, you probably want all three of these things. You want godliness, you want contentment, and you want great wealth. I mean, who doesn't, right? Of course I want all three of those things. They sound great. But here's where I think most people go wrong. I think we get it backwards. Now, this essentially is, is a formula, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but it's, we tend to think it's wealth plus contentment equals godliness. Or wealth plus godliness equals contentment. It's, it, that's backwards. It's, it's out of order. It's godliness with contentment is great wealth. There's no ifs in this statement. We, we tend to think, you know, if I have wealth, then I can be content. Right? If I would just win the lottery, everything would be good. I could retire and do nothing for the rest of my life. That would be pure contentment. If I just had more money, I, I could be more godly. If, if I had more money, I could tithe. Uh, if I had more money, I wouldn't have to live with my partner before we're married. If I had more money, I wouldn't have to steal what's not mine. If I just had more money, I could, I could be the godly person God wants me to be. But is that how it works? God calling us to be godly only when things are perfect? Or is he calling us to be godly even through all of the circumstances that we go through? It's not if all of my circumstances are right, then I can be godly, then I can be content. If I have everything that I need and want, I can be content. If, if I just had a girlfriend or boyfriend, if I just had a better family, if I just had a better job, if I just had a better car, I could be content. We have these ifs going on in our brains. 
if, then I can be. It's just not what this sentence says. There are no ifs. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. No ifs. Great gain comes down to trust. Who you trust and who you're putting your trust in. As I was sitting, standing over here last night worshiping, it just all came crashing down. It's all about faith. Where you place your faith. We can have faith in all of the wrong things and be let down constantly. Or we can put our faith in the right place. Trusting God above everything else. And have great wealth. Money can't bring you security. Should I say that again? Money can't bring you security. It, sure, it helps. Absolutely, it helps. Believe me, it helps. So many of you have given to my family and helped support us through this time, and it has helped so much. But when it's gone, and it always goes more quickly than you expect it to, right? I'm right back to being insecure. If my security is placed in money, I will always go right back to being insecure. But if my security is placed in God, he's the one who provides the money. He's the one who provides the clothes on my back, the roof over my head, then I never have to go back to being insecure, even when the money runs dry. He's my provider, not it. He's my provider. Money is a temporary fix, but we have an eternal answer. We have an eternal provider. Why are we trusting in money? It's going to go eventually. And, and Paul goes on to say in verse 7, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Did you know that was a biblical saying? Something we actually kind of say a lot, right, in our culture, but comes from the Bible. We brought nothing with us, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So... If we have enough food and enough clothing, let us be content. He doesn't list a whole lot of things there. It's just the two. If you have enough food and clothing, be content. Be content. You know, Jesus traveled around for three years, no roof over his head while he was in ministry. God provided for him and all those disciples that traveled with them everywhere they went. And when he needed something, God provided it. The Son of Man doesn't have a roof over his head. And Paul is trying to show us how to be grateful, having an appreciative perspective, not just one day a year on Thanksgiving, thanking God for everything he's given to us, but walking in appreciation. It's a mindset. You have you had nothing when you came into this world. And you can have nothing when you leave it. It's about what's been given to you, no matter how much or how little. It's been given. Understanding that everything you have isn't because you earned it or deserve it. But it's been given to you. Right? Isn't it amazing how when we first get that brand new job, we're so grateful for it. But as time goes on, we get used to that amount of money. And we need more. We get used to that amount of stress. 
and we, we don't want more, right? We'd rather have less stress in our lives and more money, and we start to get a little jaded time after time. And as time goes on, we're not so grateful for that job, God-given job anymore. Oh, something, a friend and I were talking lately, and she said, how do you stay so positive through everything that you're going through? And I said, well, honestly, yeah, right now it feels like my plate is very full. <laughs> Right? Everything is a little overwhelming, but it feels like to ask God to take any of that away, I'm just asking him to take away my husband or take away the kids or take away the church. Like To complain about any one of the things that are stressing me out feels ungrateful because he's given me those things as a blessing. My kids, the fact that my husband is still alive even through all this, right? The church, the, these are the things that are overflowing on my plate right now and I, I just can't bring myself to complain to God about that because I'm actually really grateful for all those things. I'd rather pray. In fact, my prayer lately has not been to take things off my plate but to give me a bigger plate. God, uh, help me to handle these things better. I, I love a little margin in my life but don't take any of the blessings away. Just give me the ability to handle them. Help me build systems in my life to make all of these things work. Help me be a great mom and a great wife and a great pastor. I believe I can be all of those things with the help of God, not, not on my own. <laughs> but through him, I am strongest when I am weak because he can be strong through me, Paul said, right? Well, sure, brag in my weaknesses because he shines through them when I am weak. Then I am strong. As I was worshiping last night, I felt like God gave me this word about appreciation, and I just had to look up Job. Now, I feel like I've mentioned this a lot in sermons lately, but Job had it pretty bad, right? How many of you know Job's story? He, it was bad. I mean, he was a wealthy man. He had lots of kids. He owned lots of property, and suddenly it was all gone, gone, all the kids entire family, the property, the cattle, the what, everything that he owned, it was just gone. Even his health was gone. And Job had it bad. And his friends surrounded him and they said, well, just curse God and die already. Right? Get it over with. And he didn't do that, but he did start to complain just a little bit. And we actually see God's response to him. There aren't a ton of places in the Bible. I mean, we hear, see God's words a lot, but there are some stories that just stand out when you see God speaking to Job. This might be the longest place God actually speaks, and we see all of his words. And for a couple of chapters, he goes on something like this. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. This is Job 38. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? First of all, how many times have I obscured God's plans with my own words that were said without any knowledge behind them, right? Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Did you know God could be a little stern and sarcastic? <laughs> Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. 
Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? God's even like poetic while he's yelling at him. Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? <laughs> it's beautiful, right? God is showing him a much bigger perspective. Look, dude, I created the world. I gave it magic and beauty for you. Who are you to question me? Complain to me about your situation. It says, verse 16 says, Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of its deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. God gets sarcastic and snarky with Job when he complains to him. He goes on like this for three chapters. Who are you, Job? How dare you? And in chapter 42, we actually see Job's response. He finally gets a word in with God. And it's very short compared to what God says to him. It says, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. Well, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job's done talking about his problems now with God, right? God's made his point. Now he's just going to say, you know what? You're right. You're, you're big. I shouldn't have complained. We're good. I repent, right? This is having an appreciative perspective. Job is left with life. He may not have health, he may not have his family, he may not have the wealth anymore, but he still has his life, and he can still see the dawn rise in the morning, right? He may have been the one who planted the seeds, but who gave him the seeds in the first place, and who sends the rain to water the seeds, and who makes the soil rich? Those aren't things, the, the crops aren't things that Job deserves. God gave them. He didn't deserve his family. God gave him that family. And who is he to question when God takes it away? This is having an appreciative perspective. Understanding that God is a promise keeper. Do you know, the first time God gives us his name in the word, it's Jehovah. And Jehovah is an incomplete name. <laughs> Jehovah means I am. To Moses, he says, I am that I am. Do you know why he leaves it incomplete? Because in that moment, he was trying to communicate to Moses that he would be whatever Moses needed him to be, when he needed him to be it. He was making a promise to him. When you need provision, I am the provider, Jehovah Jireh. When you, when you need freedom, I am the liberator. When you need healing, I am the healer. 
When you need comfort, I am the comforter. I will be what you need me to be. Jehovah is a promise. God doesn't ever promise to give us all the things that we want when we want it. But he does promise to provide what we need. And he has a much bigger perspective of what we need than we do. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. And so when I understand that God is a promise keeper and keep him in his right place in my perspective, I can have an appreciative perspective no matter what happens. Right? If God heals Aaron, amazing. I'm grateful. If he doesn't, I'm going to be grateful that I had him for when I did. I'm going to be grateful that I'm going to see him again in heaven someday. Right? Believe me, it's harder for me to say than it sounds. <laughs> These are things I've been working on since July. Attitudes that I've been working on since this, we found this out. And this is why I can say I'm good and mean it. Even when my husband is sitting in a hospital bed in Baltimore. Right? I'm good. I'm content. I'm happy. I can be grateful for things I can be... Honestly... And this took me a while to get to, but I've seen friends pass away this year from diseases that couldn't be cured. And I'm so grateful that I'm going to see them again in heaven someday. So grateful for that. But it, it sort of put things in perspective for me that I can still be grateful in my situation, that we still have hope. Lots of it compared to theirs. We have hope, and if nothing else, if I can think of nothing else to be grateful for in this moment, I'm going to be grateful for hope. That's an appreciative perspective. And it didn't come easily. It came in the battle, in the storm, because I'm going through something tough. I've reached a new level of faith that I wouldn't have otherwise, so guess what? I'm going to be grateful for that, too. Now I can believe God for bigger things than I could before. See where I'm going with this? There's gratitude to be found everywhere. But not if you're not looking for it. Some people, week after week, they're praying for the same things. They're down in the dumps. They can't see the hope, the life that God's given. Open your eyes and see the dawn, the Springs, right? All of the beautiful poetic things that God lays before Job in Job 38. Life is good, even when we don't have all the things that we want the new iPhone and the brand new car and the big house. But probably spent too much time on that. God also teaches us, Paul is trying to teach us here to have an eternal perspective as well. And I mentioned this a little bit, but to understand that tomorrow isn't it for us. The tomorrow that we can see and feel and touch, that we have eternity too. Eternity in mind. In fact, the only thing we can take with us into eternity is other people. Because we can give them Jesus. Right? This is why it says love God and love people. That's where our priority should be. Not on the things on the house, on the car, on comparing yourself to your neighbors, right? The, the eternal perspective is the faith element of this equation. Understanding who God is. Too many of us think about the here and now. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, the Bible says. 
Deal with today. Be grateful for today. Tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Right? To, today. No, today has enough troubles of its own. Let tomorrow be tomorrow. God will give us what we need for today. What person are you taking into eternity? Not other people. Who are you? The, the person that you are without all the stuff, the, the soul. What person are you taking into eternity with you? A grateful one that God can use for eternity? Now, I believe we're going to be productive in heaven because I know that God is a productive God. I don't think he would let us just retire with no purpose for eternity. I think we're going to have a job to do up there, too. Who is that person? Can God use that person going into eternity? Can he trust you with something big? Or is that person somebody that's going to reject God because we can't see all of the blessings he's already given us? An eternal perspective. Paul's also trying to teach us here this in this equation to contentment. How to have a low need perspective. How to understand what's a need and what's a want. Right? In our American culture, we get this real out of whack sometimes. We don't see the wealth that we've been given in our culture. Understanding that even our, our when we are at our poorest, we still have so much more than most of the rest of the world. We have so much just being in a relationship with Jesus. If I have nothing else, with that song that goes, take the world, but give me Jesus. Right? Because nothing else matters nearly as much as him. What do I really need to survive? Do I really need the new iPhone? <laughs> I really need that new car. They're all just blessings from God. And it's not that God doesn't want you to have those things. Please hear me on that. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have the tools that you need. But we have to have the right motive behind wanting those things. Do I want the new iPhone because I'm tired of being a little bit annoyed by the battery life? Or do I want the new iPhone because it's a tool in my hand to be used for spreading the gospel? It comes back to our motives for things. A, a commentary that I read this week said, A Christian's gain is great. It is not like the little gain of worldlings who are so fond of a little worldly advantage. Having an eternal perspective means understanding our actions are going to mean something for eternity. We can use our blessings for others. We can use our, our talents and our gifts as a purpose in life to bless other people. That's actually what it's about. We have to understand that to get to contentment, we need an appreciative perspective, an eternal mindset, and to keep our needs really low. That's how you gain contentment. And I've come to believe that contentment is actually a, a really good measure of faith. And it doesn't matter what season you're in. If you're in a really good season and you're really content, you might have a little faith, but wait till you get to a really bad season. Are you still content? Can you still honestly say I'm good when someone asks you? Because that's a measure of faith. Are you walking through that season on top of the water or are you sinking in the waves? How content are you right now? 
How much faith do you have right now? Paul goes on to say in verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many arrows. Pierced themselves with many arrows. How often do we look at the world and say, all the arrows are coming at me, everybody's against me. We don't realize our own motives pierce ourselves with arrows. And this is actually a, a pretty popular verse, right? We've probably all heard that money is evil. It produces all kinds of evil in our lives, but it's not actually what this verse says. Money itself is not evil. Love of money can lead to all kinds of evil, right? Not all the evil comes back to money, but some of it does. It's a root. And I want you to pay attention to the root a little bit because I've actually spent a lot of time researching. And 1 John 2.16 says, For everything in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, come not from the Father, but from the world. I actually think there's three basic roots of evil. Pride, lust, and greed. They lead to all kinds of other things. They lead to all kinds of lying. For example, I could lie because of greed. That is, I could lie because I stole something and I need to cover it, right? Or I could lie because of lust and I'm having an affair and so I'm lying about it, right? Or I could lie because I want to make myself look better, and so pride. See the picture there? These three roots lead to many other things, and I, just a theory, this isn't actually in the word, but I tend to think that most of us struggle with one of those over the rest. We all struggle with all of them. But I think we, we tend to have one. It's a big one for us. It's a big root. And it grows in our lives very quickly sometimes into weeds. How many of you, it's June, so I know you're all battling weeds at your house, right? They grow very quickly. And they're a big pain in the butt. But you got to get the root out to get the whole weed. You can't just keep weed whacking it. It's just going to come back unless you get the root, right? There are three roots here. So what, what's the one thing that if you changed today would change a lot of other things? Is it that place that you're hanging out, having a whole bunch of friendships speaking into your life that maybe shouldn't be? If you change that one thing, would it change a lot of other things for you? Maybe it's a a particular relationship in your life that needs to be changed. Maybe it's this streak of laziness that you've become comfortable with. Pull it out. Get at the root of that thing and change a lot of other things. Contentment can be easily thrown off. Easily. We don't even realize it's happening most of the time because that root, that weed, grows up so fast and takes over so fast. And when Satan sees which way you're leaning, which way your lusts carry you, it's really easy to set a trap for you. Doesn't it seem like the second you make a a resolution, guy, I'm going to eat better this week, somebody brings in cookies to work. 
Like just in that moment, right? You get tested immediately because he's really good at laying those traps exactly when we've changed our mind and we want to change something in our life. Look, it's not, I don't want you to get the wrong idea about this whole series and the band can go ahead and come. It's not a bad thing to be ambitious. It's not a bad thing to want have to have good things in your life, to want to have the big house and the nice car. and it, These aren't bad things. Some Christians get this out of whack and they purposefully surround themselves with crap because right they don't want to grow into that the Amish right purposefully choose to not live in our culture in, in all of the technology and all of the things that can help us that I just heads up the Amish aren't better people than we are because they don't have cell phones right there's still evil there there's still sin there that's not what it's about it's about our heart perspective not all of the things that are around us. And, and here's what the series is going to boil down to. Full heart, great gain, is about how different we are from the world. Not in necessarily all of the things that we have, but in our perspective. How we see the things that we have. You know, Jesus actually said, use money as a way to gain friends, to serve the people around you. It is a tool in our hands. We have to start seeing the things in our lives as tools. Understanding that we are different from the world. We have to stop being so much like it. You have different priorities now, believer, Christian. Different priorities from your coworkers. You care about different things than they do, even if it's just a little. Care, just not quite as much. You, you don't care about comparing yourself to your neighbors anymore because that's not what it's about. That's not your measure of greatness. That should come from God and God alone. You're not trying to climb the corporate ladder out of pride or greed, but, but maybe how much influence you'll now have for Jesus to make a difference, to serve people in that environment. You might want to make more money so that you can give more away, right? You, you might want the bigger house now so that you can have a big home group in it. Pastor a group of people and love them, disciple them, right? These things aren't bad. It comes back to the motive, the root behind it. We have to view life differently. God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but at the heart. Why do you want the things that you want? Are you appreciative? Do you have an eternal mindset? Right? And, and how are you keeping your needs low? Understanding the difference between want and needs. Stay content. Stay godly. That's the way to have a full heart and great gain. We can have both as long as we're seeing it correctly. This, this series is going to be about transforming the way that we think. Your circumstances may not change. It's your perspective, I hope, that will change. I want to encourage you to take one verse today 
walk out of here with one verse, and can I just suggest that it be 1 Timothy 6, 6? Right? Can we put that back up on the screen for just a second? Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great gain. Take it with you. Figure out what that means in your own life. Turn it over in your head. Sit quietly, no distractions, for five minutes. And just think about it. Allow it to change you from the inside out. That's what the word does. Ask yourself what it means, how you can apply it, and what needs to change because of it. Full heart, great thing, is about looking at the world through Christ's eyes, not your own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for peace. Thank you for giving us that peace that passes all understanding. Even in the middle of the storm, you are there. You're with us. You're walking with us, begging to pull us up. God, help us to open our eyes and see you and allow you to pull us up, to give us a different perspective, to see the things in our lives as tools to serve you and to serve people. God, change our perspective through this. Allow us to have your eyes, to see things the way you see them. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, God. We know that is a bold prayer. It's a courageous prayer. God, I pray that we would be able to pray it. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.
holy and to become more like your son and to share your gospel, the good news, the hope for this world with our friends, our neighbors, and our communities. Make us a light in the dark places of this earth. Jesus.